Alright, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now we are um, concluding our teaching today, that is this seminar. And I'm so happy that um, many of you have seen your faces again and again and again. And believe me, you have done a very wise thing. One thing I can assure you of is that after this seminar, like Pastor Murphy will declare, that Pastor Murphy's friends that was leading the prayers the last two days, he said that to mark a turning point in your Christian work. After now, you will understand more than ever before. After now, you will understand the word of God more than ever before. You will be able to relate the word of God with your everyday life more than you ever did before. God's word is not just a set of commandments. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. No. God's word is life. It breathes. God's word is a living thing. It changes people's lives. It protects you. It opens doors for you. And we close negative doors. Doors you're supposed to walk through that are not good for you, the word of God will block it. God's word is alive. It produces. The word becomes flesh. What that means is that if you understand the word of God, what was missing in your body, the word will create it. The word becomes flesh. If God speaks something out there, he has spoken it and you say amen to it, it crystallizes and becomes a real thing that you can see in your life. The word becomes flesh. After now, you will understand that flesh becoming property of the word of God better. Because when you understand it, it becomes real to you. After this seminar, I say to you, you will not be confused as to, how, as to, as to making the right decisions for your life. You will not be confused as to what will I do that will please God. It will just be clear to you. That's the result of this seminar. After this seminar, listen, you will discover that one pain you used to have disappeared. You can't even remember when it went away. A lump somewhere in your body went away. A problem with your you know, a chronic headache went away. That is what the word does. He sent his word and healed them. That word will come, is coming. It has come. And it will continue to come. And it is healing you permanently in Jesus' name. Alright, let's go into the teaching I have for today. I, um, well, of course, we've been talking about how to know the will of God. And this morning we had the minister's um, seminar. And those who were around, I'm sure you were blessed. And those of you who were not around, no problem. Maybe you are not a preacher, so it's good. Well, it's okay. But the preachers that were there, they will bless you also later. <laughs> yes, we had a very nice time. Um, as a conclusion of the series, I want to just talk, I want to address the issues about what exactly is my calling. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Which is actually what most people want to know when they are saying what is the will of God. God has a will about everything. But the things I've been trying to explain is that sometimes people say the will of God, they don't understand really what the will of God is, so they start from the wrong place. It's like you enter into a secondary school, you're admitted, and you go and start. You were in primary school before, you start from SS2. You know things to be out of order. I mean, you should have gone to GSS1, 2, 3, then SSS1, and then 2. But you just jump to SS2 because you're in a hurry to graduate from secondary school. Of course, it won't work like that. Or you enter into university, you want to study engineering. You decide you're going to take engineering 307 first. This is your first year. You're supposed to have taken 107, 207, before you get to 307. But so you say, no, I'm in a hurry. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. They want to know God's will, God's calling, God's plan for their lives. And they want to start from there. And that's where the confusion is. That is not the first thing. Those are the things, in fact, those are advanced level things. Not because they are too big for an average Christian, but because they are not the foundational things of life. You should leave proper foundations. Those are things that you build upon the right foundations. And the interesting thing about it is that if you, do the, if you lay the foundations properly in the context of which I'm speaking, you would find those things take care of themselves. I like to say to Christians, bear these things in mind. The Bible says they were recorded for our learning. They are examples for us to follow. Listen, David did not hear a calling. I'm going to make you a king one day. 
the day he was anointed was probably, let's just say it's a probability, was most likely the first time he knew he would be a king. That day they said, now you are a king. Before that time, he was a shepherd, a diligent shepherd. And when Samuel came, David was not around. But David had to come before Samuel could anoint anybody. Because they all belonged to David. What matters, alright, is not how do I locate Samuel. Is how am I living so that my oil can be prepared? Are you getting my point? Many times people want to learn, how do I locate my Samuel? Listen, Samuel is designed to look for you. Did you hear what I said? Samuel is designed to look for you. People say success is about being in the right place at the right time. And I said that is not, if you, if you learn the law of quantum mechanics, all right, some of you know physics? <laughs> in the law of quantum mechanism, uh, mechanics, you cannot know the position and the speed of a particle at the, particle, at the same time. The velocity and position cannot be known. That's the law of quantum mechanisms. The mechan- mechanics. Some of you say, you may have said I've spoken that in Aramaic because <laughs> it makes no meaning to us. But that's a physical law which tells us what is spiritual. You cannot really know a right time and the right place ahead of that time so as to be there to prepare. Are you getting my point? You can't know it. It is not possible for you to know it. A right time and a right place happens to you. Do you understand my point? It's only after you have been there, you will discover it was the right time and the right place. So when you hear things like success is about being in the right place at the right time, it sounds very nice and beautiful and it's possibly true. Except that how do I decide the right time and the right place ahead of that time so as to prepare and be there? The answer is it is not possible. I can just live my life in a particular way so that the right place and the right time will happen to me when it is necessary. And let me say something to you. Blessings are commanded. People will say that if only you have been around, you will have gotten that job. If you did not travel, they will have appointed you. It's just because you did not come. No, those things are not true. Blessings are commanded. The Bible says from there, God commanded the blessings. It was in Psalm 103. It said, life everlasting. What that means is that if God sends Samuel into your house to go and anoint you as king, he can't anoint somebody else. Do you get my point? Even when Saul went to hide, they looked for him. When it was his turn, that time, the first time they made had a king in Israel. That is a reality we must understand. Your blessing is commanded. It's not something that just happens to you by, by chance. When Solomon was saying time and chance happens to people, he was saying when we observe physically, all right, it will appear time and chance. But Paul later explained it is of the mercy of God. It is of God that shows mercy. When God has appointed mercy for you, time and chance will happen to you. Do you get what I'm going to explain here? So listen, blessings are commanded. I tell people, they say, leave your phone. You never, can, you never can tell when they will call you. People were succeeding before mobile phones came. Do you get my point? That's the reality of life. So I say, put off your phone. When you come to Bible study, you come to church, put off the phone. When at a certain time of the night, put off the phone. Go and sleep. Stop waiting for, uh, they may call me anytime. If they call you and you're not you know, available, they will call again. People say that um, um, opportunity, opportunity comes but once. Listen to me. It is not the gospel of the person who is blessed. Opportunity comes but once is that of an unbeliever. If I'm a believer, my opportunity will come. If it doesn't meet me, it will come back. If it comes again, it doesn't meet me, it will come back. My opportunity will wait for me. I hope you are getting my point. Why do I know that? Because we saw Samuel waiting for David. David was not at home. His first brother, Eliab, was there. Shammah was there. Abinadab was there. All the other brothers, all seven of them were there. David was not there. But the opportunity did not recognize them. Samuel did not say, you see, because David is not around, let me anoint the person that I see. He saw Eliab, he liked Eliab, but they all said no. They all said, My, the name of the guy is not Eliab. And until everybody had passed, even somewhere got confused. Oh God, the ministry of a prophet is really distressing. You can imagine you say you heard God. <laughs> you go to the house of um, um, Jesse. Say, where are all your sons? And they gathered all of them. He said, I'm going to anoint one of them king. First one passed. Second one passed. Third one, I kept on hearing, he's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. He said, wait, did you not know the one before I came? Why are we doing he's not the one? He's not the one. Why did we not just, just do he's the one? <laughs> Why didn't you just tell me the name? 
And you say, hey, come, boy, you have a boy called David in this house? <laughs> I don't want to go into that message. I like preaching that message, actually, about why God did that. And let me just preach it. I need to preach it. It's a sweet message. I like preaching it. There are things as a preacher you, you understand very well, you know? You like to drop it. It makes you feel anointed. The reason why God did that simply is to let you know Eliab was considered first. Abinadab was considered next. Shammah was considered after that. And they considered all the boys and they were not qualified. Because God did not say, I have not chosen him. He said, I have rejected him. You don't reject a man you did not consider. Do you get my point? To be, to be ready for your own place, for your own time. Make sure you are living a life right now that qualifies you. God weighs us every day to find out whether we are worthy of what we are asking for. The glory of God is heavy. The word for glory in the Old Testament is kabod, which means weight. And that's why Paul talked about the weight of glory. When he was talking about it in 2 Corinthians later, he talked about the weight of glory. So before God pours a form of glory upon you, he makes sure you can carry it. Shammah couldn't carry it. Abinadab couldn't carry it. And listen to me, that was not the first family he tried. He went rank by rank in Israel. Because being a king is not exactly a calling. It's a result of what you did with your other calling. I don't know what I hear what I try to say. That is, you become a leader amongst men. You become a leader amongst the people. What happened to David was that David was excellent in what they gave to him. I'm going to talk about that today. Because many times people say, what's my calling, what's my calling? You don't have any other calling more than responsibility. Be responsible. Did you hear what I said? You don't need to know your calling apart from understand how to be responsible. The proper calling in your life will happen to you. You will discover it. Many people, God said to them, I have called you to be a prophet like Jeremiah. He didn't tell me that. Many people, God will say, I have called you to go and pastor the largest church in West Africa. He never spoke to me like that. I just discovered that when I'm teaching the Bible, it flows. I just discovered it. And I know that it's true because you came here this evening. If it wasn't true, you'll have gone somewhere else. There are so many things competing for your attention. You're an important person. Are you getting my point? Okay, even if you're not important, DSTV is competing for your attention. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? They are playing football in your neighborhood. You don't even have to have the thing. You can go somewhere else and pay 100 bucks and watch. Yet you came to listen. It is because the unction is actually flowing. I discovered it. I was not informed about it. Nobody said I have called you to be a teacher of the word. When I opened my mouth, teach jumped out of it. If I open it, teach will just jump out of it. I said, why not? Let us exercise it. According to the proportion of faith, we'll read that in a moment. That's how it happens. The primary calling for every believer is responsibility. Be responsible. Be dependable. Anything they put in your hands to do, make sure it does not fail. Do that and Samuel will show up at your door one day. That is the word of God. The Lord is good. So that's what we're looking at. Let's look at that. What is my calling? What does the Lord want me to do in, with my life? I'll summarize everything I'm going to say today in a moment. We've just been giving an introduction. But I always like us to read the Bible. Quickly, everybody, open to the book of Romans chapter 12. Let's take that as our text for today. The book of Romans chapter 12. If you are there, say, aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. Okay, I didn't hear enough aha, uh-huh, so you're not there yet. If you are there, say, oh, yeah, oh. I'm not hearing enough. I'll give you a few more seconds. I'll be whether you're there or not. We have to go on. All right, so I'll say the aha, aha for you. That's Pastor Chris Okuti. <laughs> I says that. Now, from verse 1, I like, I know it may be, sound a bit uh, one kind, but let's read together. I enjoy it, all right? <clears throat> the Lord is good. Our leaders will read together. Let me just tell you where we are going so that we stop uh, at the proper place. Occasionally, I'll tell you to pause for me to lay emphasis, all right? We're going to stop around uh, verse um, 13. So it's a long one, but let's read. It's a Bible, all right? Romans chapter 12 from verse 1. Read so that the person on your left 
and on your right, behind you and in front of you can hear. You're not too loud, but you're not quiet, all right? I want to hear your voice well projected, okay? From verse 1, want to go. Therefore, I adjure you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Pause, please. We're going to continue from verse 3. I want to emphasize something in verse 2. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When you do that, you'll be able to prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. We'll look at it in a moment, but let me quickly say something here. Paul was not saying there are three levels of the will of God. He was not saying there are three types of the will of God. He said the will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable. The will of God is perfect. You're either in it or you're out of it. Do you understand that? Let's go on. Verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4. Just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. You prophesy according to... Now, let's pause, please. I want to lay emphasis here again. Now, Paul says something in verse 3. He said, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The word faith in the Bible has many uses. In this particular thing, uh, context, Paul was talking about the confidence with which you are able to do something. Confidence with which you are able to do something. You know, you know you, for example, you are supposed to teach the scriptures. The confidence with you, you, which you can handle it is something that God drops inside you. There is something in life you do confidently. All right? That's what he was saying. But what I want to emphasize is what we just read now in verse 6. He said, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Why? Because in, previous, in the previous verse, he said, we are all members of the same body. That is, each one is a part of the body just like your body is. So you have a nose, you have your eyes, you have your ears, you have your hands, you have your feet. You have different parts of your body and each one serves its own function. All right? So he said, because of that, we are members of there are different parts of the body. God has given grace. The grace, another thing that I should quickly explain, is ability. Grace is ability. The power, the ability to do something. God has given to each person. He now said each person is to exercise. Now, let me read that for you in my translation. It's about the best I've seen in that area. In verse 6, New American Standard says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That is, each person has a gift and that's because of that grace that God that is manifested in the grace that the person sees in his life. So when you have grace as an area, begin to exercise yourself there. That's what he was saying. And I said, one, there are those who have the gift to prophesy. Therefore, they should exercise themselves step by step according to the proportion of faith they have at each, at each particular point in time. Let's read verse 7. Now everybody go. If service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, eight... He will exalt in his exaltation. He will leads, gives with liberality. Who will lead with diligence? He will shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse nine: Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted. Verse ten: To one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Verse eleven: Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Twelve: Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did like I did. <laughs> All right, the Lord is good. If you believe, you say amen. amen. All right. Now, we have read this as our main text. And let's just break down some things in it further so everybody can understand. I will get back to some of those things I explained a while ago. Let's just continue um, taking it step by step. Now, this is a summary of everything I want to say today. I'll give the summary to help you follow me, all right, easily. This is a summary. God's will we've established is not should I go here or should I go there. That's God's plan. 
That's God's calling. We can use those words. Even though, let's just get our terms right because it's very important we understand this. There is a difference between the will of God and the plan of God. There is a difference between the will of God and the calling of God. Actually, sometimes we use the word plan. When we want to describe the plan of God, we use the word the specific will of God for each person. Alright? But the will of God is what God actually wills. What he really wants. Do you understand? Now, what is the plan? The plan is the amount of his will you and I allow him to execute at each point in time. Did you hear what I said? I know some people didn't hear me well, so I'll try and clarify. I'll give an example. A time came, Israel asked for a king. Who chose Saul? Please answer me. By through the prophet Samuel, God was the one that chose Saul. Did God really want them to have Saul as their king? No. So you see, did God give them Saul? Yes, he wrote the plan. Was that what he really wanted? No. If I tell you another one, it will surprise many people. You probably haven't thought about it before. The temple that Solomon built, <laughs> it was drawn. It was a revelation given to David. He drew the plan for the temple. So it was God's plan that he used. The architectural plan was God's own. I, don't, I won't discuss this in details, but hear, hear me. Did God want them really to have a stone temple? No. He never wanted it. It's just that David wanted it. Everybody wanted it. All the gods around, the same way they wanted a king. Everybody had temple, temple, temple. God said, I never complained. He said that the, the, the ark was kept in a tent. You are the one complaining. So to stop the complaints, okay, I will draw you a plan, but don't build it. Let your son build it. So God can give us a plan. The plan of God is the amount of his will we allow him to express. And that's why we are teaching like this. To let us know, let's not focus on, I have gotten a plan from God. Because sometimes God can give you a plan that is inferior to the perfect thing he wants for your life. And the reason why he does it is because he did will that he really has in mind. You're not ready to receive it. I'll give you another example. It's in the Bible like that. They came to Jesus. Moses said we should divorce our wives, give her a certificate of divorce, then we are free. And Jesus said, in the beginning, it was not so. <laughs> no, after they came and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for, for any cause? Jesus said, no. In the beginning, it wasn't so. He said, but Moses told us we can do it. And if you go and read the Bible, the, the laws, all right? God actually dictated that law to Moses. When a man is going to have a divorce, this is what he will do. He will write a certificate of divorce for the woman, and he's never to take her back again. Once she's gone, she's gone permanently. You understand? She marries somebody else, she's gone permanently. She can never remarry that man. That man can never take her back. But Jesus said, it was not so. But Moses said it was the word of God. Yes. God, Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, God told Moses to give you that law. That is, was it God's perfect plan? No. Was it the will? Now, let's talk about it. Was it the will of God? No. But because of hard-hearted men, God said, okay, Moses, let us step down our will to a plan that they can use. So they wrote it down. So you found that the laws of Moses were inferior to the perfect will of God. I hope you are getting what I'm going to explain here. And that is why as Christians, we have to learn to focus on the will. And I'll go into it again today. Not on the plan. Many people are so concerned. I'll go back to it again. On, let's say marriage as an example. Father, there are six sisters in my fellowship. One is Angela. The other is Angelina. One is Angel. Lord, which one of these six should I marry? And God says, it's not a good prayer for your level. Is it because I don't want you to marry? I want you to marry. What is my will? My will is understand what marriage is. Understand what it means to be joined together. Understand the purpose of marriage. Understand what you will do as a married man. If you can sanctify and purify your heart, you will discover that all the women around are not six. There's only one. Yes, you'll find as I go, I'll explain. Sometimes you finish doing this thing that God is saying, you will see all those six women and you can't identify them. You won't just see them again. Only one will remain. 
in your eyes. Are you getting my point? And then you won't have to pray, God, which one? There's only one. So which one is which one? There's only one. That's how it works a lot of times. Many times, God doesn't, you know, this God spoke to me. That's what I'm trying to explain. Pentecostals have misunderstood and therefore abused it. They don't go for the will. They go for the revelation that they claim they had. Many of those revelations are inferior. Sometimes God actually grants them. But they are fully inferior to his will. And for believers, he doesn't like playing that game. He could have done it with Israel. It was okay. But for the Christians, he said, no, I want you to get into the center of my will. So let's emphasize it again. There is a difference between this thing we call the calling of God and the will of God. Or the plan of God. Let me me emphasize that issue of calling again. A bit different from plan. Calling is a specific reason why God gave you life. He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, Before you were born, I knew you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That's a calling. Let me quickly say this. Everybody has a calling. I'm jumping ahead of the order I have, but it normally flows better when I do like that, okay? So let me ignore the structure I have laid down. Everybody has a calling. I went to a church many years ago, and the pastor had a habit of welcoming people. He said, if you're a newcomer here, and you are not yet planted in a church where you are helping the man of God fulfill the call of God for his life, I want you to consider this, making this church your home. And I remember I used to ask myself, sir, why should I be somewhere helping the man of God fulfill the call of God for his life? What about my own life and the call of God for my life? Listen, you can assist other people. Are you getting my point? I'm not saying you can't. I mean, I didn't do all of these things by myself. But each person should realize, in this so-called assisting the man of God, you had better be doing the call of God for your life. Quickly, open to this particular scripture. Many people haven't read it before. That's why I would like to use it to introduce something. Songs of Solomon chapter 1. What am I saying? Calling is the reason why you were born. And everybody has it. Everybody has it. And I'm trying to emphasize not only preachers. Everybody. Every child of God has a calling. I personally have a rough estimate for the number of them, for the, uh, that this proportion of them that will be preachers. And I think it's one, about 10%. Actually, in my mind, is one in 12. You say, well, why do you say so? It's just a simple derivation from the tribe of Israel. There are 12 tribes. One was a priestly tribe. So I now, for that reason, just estimated that of all children of God, just about one in 12 now, you can't go and quote it that only only 12 of us are preachers. No. It's my personal estimate. That's why I gave it a rough about 10%. Alright? Or slightly less. That's my own estimation. Alright? But just to let you know that the other 90%, is it that God didn't give them life for a particular reason? He did give them life for a particular reason. And in fact, you'll find from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says he called the preachers primarily to go and prepare those 90% so that everybody can do the work of God. Let me wipe that from our mind again as we are starting this teaching this evening. Not only preachers are doing the work of God. Let me say it again. What you and I call secular work is God's word. It's God's work. It's not only preachers that are doing the work of God. That is why that thing I keep on referring to. Some people say when you get to heaven, you see some of these are big brothers, the big ministers, that they have big mansion. It doesn't cross their mind that a bank manager can have big mansion. It doesn't cross their mind that a primary school proprietor can have big mansion. It doesn't cross their mind that a politician, a governor can have a big mansion. It doesn't cross their mind that a, you know, a, a carpenter can have a good mansion, a big mansion. It doesn't cross our minds. We just think only the big pastor qualifies for a big mansion. So you say when Rehon Bonk is going to heaven, he will carry the millions of souls he has won for Christ and say, these are the people I have won. Listen to me. Brother Bonky won't mind me saying it. After, after all, as my name sounds a bit like his own, Bonky. Bonky. 
Although my own is not my real name, it's a short form of the real thing, you understand? Uh-huh. Anyway, he won't mind me saying it. It is not true. When Brother Bonky is going to heaven, he's going all alone. The door doesn't take two people. All the souls you said you want, they'll go and queue on their own place. There's no network marketing there. These are in my network, then from there you have another network. Nothing like that. Too. Each man, each woman gives account for his or her life. You don't, I've been emphasizing it. You don't know. You can see a man, in fact, there's one man, I won't mention his name. Somebody, they say, I get a report from a true prophet, okay? This man is a very big man of God. If I mention the name, you'll know him. Yet a prophet said, the day this man started his church, this is a church that has many branches all over the world today. He said, the day the man started the church, he walked out of the plan of God for his life. Yet many of us think that he has a heavy mansion in heaven. Yet the prophet said, the day that guy started the church, I wrote him off. I knew he had abandoned God's call for him. Don't judge anybody. Fix your eyes on the bishop. Is that what the Bible says? Fix your eyes on the archbishop. Fix your eyes on the pastor. What did he say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just fix it there. You don't it, <laughs> listen when we say the man of God has a mansion in heaven. Listen to me, bank manager has a mansion in heaven too. Business planner has a mansion in heaven. The mother that never had a job and earned money but raised her children has a mansion in heaven too. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Many people have their mansions in strange places, you, strange sizes, I mean, you don't realize it. There are people in the market, what is their job? God said, listen, I've put you in the nature market, keep order here. You'll be the secretary of the Omata Association, you know Omata. And God said, this is your work. If you become a pastor, I will kill you after two years. I don't want crisis in the market. Do you get what I'm saying? And he says, <clears throat> excuse me. And he says, yes, sir. So he becomes a good secretary of Omata as unto the Lord. And he gets to heaven one day. Assuming this mansion theory is the way it is. I don't know whether it's like that. But a, <laughs> let's just assume the mansion theory is the way we describe it. He gets to heaven and God gives him the massive one. And his bishop comes and thinks it is his mansion. And they say, Bishop, manage that big you will like him. <laughs> In fact, they say, Bishop, sorry, move. The big somebody else is taking it. Use the gatehouse. It fits you very well. Especially since that bishop prick thing, you brought it to heaven. It means your pride has not been solved. So they keep you at the gate. Open the gate. After you open the gate for like 17 millennia, they will review your case. <laughs> that is the first thing I want us to understand. It is not only the pastor that is doing the work of God. Oh, my anointed broadcaster is doing the work of God. How many of you listen to Pastor Kimuti Dudu on Sunday mornings? Half of his message is preached by the woman interviewing him. Have you noticed? <laughs> Yesterday I was watching, I was watching um, the experience. I don't know how many of you caught it on DSTV. When Frank Edwards, Frank Edwards finished singing, one woman said, Oh, it was, it was. I told my wife, Why is she shouting like that? It was so, so. Oh, Frankie, Frank, okay, come and tell us. How, how do you bring this thing out? Sometimes I have things inside me. I, just, I don't know how to bring them out. Frank Edwards said, Just bring it out. <laughs> <laughs> the woman said, No, how do you do, how do you do? He said, uh, well, you just reach in and bring it out. <laughs> My wife and I said, the two of them have said nothing. <laughs> oh, I don't know how many of you caught it yesterday night. It was on TV, The Experience. And the Experience, for those who don't know, is a musical concert that uh, House on the Rock Lagos organizes. And a lot of people come from outside Nigeria and from within Nigeria. Right? One of the ministers was um, Frank Edwards. Now, why did I say that? So I, when I'm joking with Okimuti, okay, I said <laughs> that... 
Easy, that's her name, the anointed broadcaster. She knows how to bring it out. When when Pastor Udu doesn't want to talk, she will put her hand inside his mouth, bring it out. Well, Frank Edwards doesn't know how to bring it out. It's an anointing. What am I trying to say? We are all called. Sometimes some of us feel special that we are called. We are all called. Let me emphasize to you, whether God spoke to you or not, some people heard voices, saw vision, and the Lord walked into their room and said, oh, I have called you to go and marry Banky. Listen, whether he called or not, once you marry me, you have married me. You've done the will of God. I don't know whether you get my point. It is still a calling. I don't know why you're getting what I'm saying. Someone said, God spoke to me to marry my wife. But he didn't tell me anything like that. I still married a good woman, the right one. We are all called. What did I say? Sometimes we hear a voice. Less than one in ten of us will hear anything. Nine out of ten we must decipher the calling. The first thing we must know is that we are all called. Don't see your pastor next time and say, oh, he's a man of God. If you respect him, he's a senior man of God to you. He's blessing you. Yes, he's a man of God. But don't ever forget you're also a girl of God, a boy of God, a man of God, a woman of God. All of us are of God. The only reason why you like me, as an example, is that I'm helping you by teaching the word. I hope you know your boss also is a man of God. If he fires you, <laughs> federal government is government of God. Though. You have to pray for them. You must understand. Look, I want to dis- remove this from our minds. If you read my book, unfortunately, we're out of print. Okay? Later on, you'll be able to get it from our website. We're still working on that to have it available on the website. How to work for God. Is, is in the process of being reprinted now. It's one of my favorite books. Many people, that's the one they love of all the books I've written. In it, I have a whole segment titled, Secular Work is the Work of God. I was listening to a man of God, David Paulson. I never heard it like that before. He said, the concept of secular versus spiritual is a Greek concept that the Hebrew never understood it. And the Hebrew mindset is what we actually have as Christians in that regard. The, Jew, the Greek was the one that said, this is secular work, this is spiritual work. For the people of God, there's no difference. There is nothing that is spiritual, there's nothing that is secular. All of them are just spiritual and of God, for the child of God. Civil service for him is spiritual. Cooking for him, if he is a cook, is spiritual. Making clothes for her is spiritual. Building a house for him is spiritual. Flying a plane for him or her is spiritual. Preaching the word is spiritual. So every child of God is supposed to exact diligence as unto the Lord into everything they do. Including putting a needle into a dress and bringing it out. When we were building the temple in the wilderness, Moses received the plan. He preached the plan to be people. And the end of the day, God said, there is a man there, his name is Bezalel. I have poured upon him the spirit of the craftsman to make artistic designs. There is another man I called with him. His name is Oholeab. He said, call the two of them. They know how to do this work and to teach other people. So they have two gifts. Ability to do, ability to teach. They were anointed. We don't know whether they went to war like Joshua or not. But without them, the tabernacle would not have come out looking like that. God said, make the garment of Aaron for beauty and for glory. Moses did not know how to do that. He had to give the job to people who could make clothes. Women who knew how to weave came forward. And the Spirit of God helped them to make fantastic pieces of clothing. So that the word of God could be fulfilled. That said, the garment of Aaron, the high priest, must be made for beauty and for glory. That is, if you turn to look at the garment of Aaron, you will pause and say, my God, this is beautiful. A man was anointed to do that and teach other people how to do it. Everything we do as Christians is spiritual. We are all called. Sometimes I hear pastors make this mistake. If you're a pastor here, don't make that mistake. 
You can serve the unbeliever boss. Hmm? When we tell you to come to church, you can't come. That is not wise talking. Because whether I'm in church or not, I'm serving God wherever I am. Don't even have the impression that coming to talk, sit before you is more spiritual than where I work. Don't even have that idea, sir. Sometimes Christians, pastors, we pastors, we make a kind of demand upon them. So that if it is church matter, we should take it as priority. So you pass eight choices, come, everybody come, let us jog. It is church jogging. We, for, we leave our work. No, it's a very terrible thing. Christians do it, and it's very, very bad. You see Christians, <laughs> this will make you laugh. They are owing everybody, but the pastor thinks they are very generous titers and givers. Those ones go to hellfire first, before those who use attachment. I'm telling you, you see, people don't know how to judge things. So this brother is very faithful, very faithful. Paul said to Timothy and Titus, if you want to appoint a deacon, don't check whether he's faithful in church. Go outside and ask his neighbors, is he faithful? Paul said, go and ask his neighbors, go to his office and say, this guy, how is he? In church, yes, one will call an offering, he's the first to come forward. Why? Because he's coming forward. Tell him not to get him to give on the seat. Nobody will see his gift. You know, let, let me say it the way it is. When the uh, when ministers meeting this morning, this is among things we discussed. People say people coming forward to give. Is it right or wrong? I said Jesus said it is wrong. You can go ahead and be explaining it away. Jesus said if well, your left hand is doing something, you should try and hide it from the right. They did not say it like that in your Bible. Somebody says when it comes to arms giving, he said no. When you are doing your good works. That's what he said. You know why we pastors have forgotten that he said so? Most human beings, we believe, wrongly, that they don't like to give. Natural people, yes. But Christians, if you teach them well, they know how to give. If you teach them well, they know how to give. So we like to put them under a bit of pressure. So they like to stand once pastor can recognize it. One brother, who invited me to preach somewhere. He said he has is he a relative or something. That in their church, he can give half a million naira. Pastor says, we need to remove this building, half a million naira, he will be jumped to the front. Then because everybody thought he was generous, so one day they wanted to plan a program somewhere. Some young people now went and met him and said, sir, please, we need money, can you help us? He couldn't part with 5,000 naira. Then they dawned on them that the problem was that they asked him in secret. <laughs> if they had mounted a pulpit and said, and the pastor said, we are going to do a program, who will give us half a million? He said, that guy will come out and he will pay. So the pastor has this impression of him, generous brother. But God looks at him, wicked soul. <laughs> when I heard that, I said, my God. He's trying to make himself look good in the eyes of the man of God. Paul said to Timothy and to Titus, when you want to choose the kings, don't check there. Go to his office. Say, brother Jackson, is he owing anybody here? Oga, he borrowed my money six months ago. He said, I'll give you in three weeks. This is the sixth month now. Meanwhile, how much is it in the office? 10,000. See, between that time and now, he has given 200,000 to church. And the pastor said, my God, this guy is good. God said, wait first. Judgment day, you will see what I will do to you. I'm telling you. Why? It's part of our idolatrous culture. It's a culture of idolatry. If I do it for God, he will bless me. Jesus said, when I want to show up, I show up as a list of the saints. You will never suspect it is me. If you want to know whether you love God and you give to God, don't check what you give to your pastor or give to the ministry. Check what you give to the man who didn't recognize you, who can't pay you back, who can't give you a recommendation, who can't help your children. Check the one you did when nobody was looking. That is the real test of whether you are giving to God or you are a spiritual criminal. Many Christians today, that's what they are, spiritual criminals. 
What they give, what they give, God does not accept it. I've told you. If you like, quarrel with me, be angry with me. All those seeds you sow, so you can get back, is dead on arrival. Look, I didn't force you to come here. You came here by yourself. <laughs> Next seminar, don't come if you don't like it. No, she's not running. That's my wife. <laughs> she's, she's, she just needs to attend to something quickly. <laughs> or people say, ah, the woman here, what she runs. She's used to it. That's by the way she used to say <laughs> those days. You are the strangest Christian I've ever met. And the strangest pastor I've ever listened to. I say, oh, you still married me, so forget it. You will hear this one till death do us part. <laughs> the Lord is good. Listen, I, I mean that all those ones you give, say, when I give to the build, church building, God will build my house. God will remove your roof. <laughs> I, I, I won't lie to you. <laughs> No, think about it. If I, if, I, if I wanted to lie or just say what is popular, I would just stand here and say the same thing and bring offering basket. And we'll be counting your offerings till tomorrow morning. Who not like that? But we have to tell the truth. Whether it brings us stuff or it doesn't, we have to tell the truth. If you go to a church to give you a seat so that God can build your house, believe me, God will remove your roof. If you want to build your house, know what to do. Ask him, say, dear Lord. You know, Jesus said you love me. And you, you like your son just to be paying rent forever. So, Papa, Papa, go do something now. So God will say, what do you like? Like a bungalow, a duplex. Oh, well, something between the two. Just. <laughs> yes, and he will begin to arrange things for you. I'm telling you. He said, what about when you want to build our church? You go there. Oh, this church should be built. That is true. Because it should be built, this is the money I have. I give it. I don't tie the two. Praying to receive from God and working for God are two totally different things. One is a sonship function. Ability to receive from God is sonship. Giving to God is a servantship thing. And the Bible says God's children are those that serve him. That is, they are sons that serve. If, not, if they don't do like that, their lives will be prodigal. Every man, that is scriptural um, illustrations now, have two sons. One is a prodigal son. One is a serving son. We children of God, we serve with all our heart. We give to things we believe in. You give to a church building does not mean anything. It's, a, it's an assembly hall. I hope you understand that. It is the concern you have for your neighbors that matter. That is like anytime you come to church, it's always, it's all, I've, I've been preaching before, and the roof, many of you here, you, you know what I'm talking about. And the roof opened, it was raining, and the rain fell on my pulpit. If you don't like that, assuming we own the building, you come and say, ah, pastor, that is not right. What do we do? I say, we need to roof the whole building. I say, okay. How much? I've, ch- I've asked the roofers. They said it will cost like 3.5. So I don't have 3.5 million. Here's 300. Let's start. That's nothing to do with this is a house of God. It's not the house of God. God doesn't have any physical house on this earth. I hope you understand that. He doesn't have. The only houses he has, they move about. Like you. You brought God from your house and brought him here. I brought from my house. I brought him here. So when we gather together, even if this is under a mango tree, is the house of God. When we disperse, the house God sheep has gone. <laughs> I'm not emphasize to us, we must get that into our minds as Christians. There is nothing like secular work and spiritual work. Like David Paulson explained when I was listening to his message, he said it's Greek thinking. The same thing, I read it also from Oswald Chambers, yes. Oswald Chambers said it's the Greeks that introduced that into the, into the, um, into the earth. That is Greek, Greek philosophy. So some things are spiritual, some things are secular. God said to the children of God, no, 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 nothing like that. Marriage is spiritual. Raising children is spiritual. Buying food in the market is spiritual. Cooking the food is spiritual. Driving a car is spiritual. 
Preaching the gospel is spiritual. Building a house is spiritual. Sewing clothes is spiritual. Broadcasting is spiritual. Being a doctor is spiritual. Sweeping the floor is spiritual. Every little thing they do is spiritual. Because if we don't understand this, we keep on looking for the call of God. You are waiting for the day you go to Bible school. There are those who think now we are serving God. How do you mean they are serving God? I have finished serving myself. It's not time to serve God. Which is a problem anyway. If you have to serve yourself first before you remember God, you are in bad shape. Once, my chief in Lagos, I've told this story many times, but because it's such a perfect story. Now, if you are around in the morning, I explain to the ministers. Ministry is, is sacrifice. So I'm not trying to say ministry is not sacrifice. I'm just bring an issue here, all right? Once, we're talking about men of God, those days driving Mercedes-Benz cars, which I don't think there's any problem with. You know why? A car is just a car. Somebody say, why should a man of God fly a private jet? I say, it's because he's going to a private place and he has private money. <laughs> if you don't believe in it, don't give him money. But close your mouth. None of your business. After all, your own small jeep is somebody's private cow, a jet. I hope you understand. Yes, that's how far it is for some people. Mm-hmm. Now, so one day, my chief and I in Lagos were talking. So why should the man of God drive a private a, a, a Mercedes-Benz? And she happened to own a Mercedes-Benz. So I said, Malga, but you are driving a Mercedes-Benz. Why can't the man of God drive it? He said, he said they are serving God. And my chief is a very nice person, so do our, our our big chief, you understand. But we're very familiar with her, we know we could play with her and all of that. I said, ah, Oga, you are serving God. You no, know, he said they are working for God. I said, you, chief, who are you working for? He said, I'm working for myself. <laughs> I said, ma, no, no, chief, please, don't do that. It's not like that. I said, you are, he's working for God, you are working for God. You are not working for yourself. You do not have any right to immerse these beings more than he has. I'm not going to get Christians to understand something. Every one of us, we are working for God. We have, it's not only people who are preaching. If you write a spiritual book, you have written it for God. If you write a primary school book, 1 plus 1 equals 2. 2 plus 2 equals 4. A for apple, B for ball, you know, it is still a book for God. It's serving a different population of people. If somebody says, I've been called to be a policeman in Nigeria, you know, you look and say, are you sure? The call of God upon my life is to be an immigration officer. I say, ah, bros, you won't go for interview. You don't remember interview. <laughs> The stampede that kills people that time. You say, ah, no. But the truth is that God actually appointed some people that through them, he will reform the customs, you know, Nigerian customs service. Yes. But many of them have gone to Bible school. They are pastoring the parish of home denomination. And like he told Kenny Hagin, this boy, at the age of 52, I'm going to kill him. Why? He's useless. I did not equip him for what he's doing. But why do people get it wrong? That's my emphasis. Why do they get it wrong? Because they have wrong thoughts. They have wrong mindsets. They think that if it is the work of God, it has to be in church. My first thing I want to explain to you today is that it's not always like that. What you call secular is also the work of God. Somebody has to do business. Somebody has to make money to give. Do you get my point? These things are all the work. Somebody has to invent. I can't preach, invent a mobile phone, write a physics textbook, write management book, at the end of the day, run a radio station, then start a television station, then at the end of the day, I go back home, I'm a good father. <sighs> One man can't do all of that. So Paul said, we are all members of the same body. Each one has what? His function. Let me not stay on that for too long, but I'm sure you've got to my point. So don't look down on what you are doing. That's what I'm trying to say. Let me quickly say this. Life also has phases. And it's also the work of God to fulfill each phase appropriately. What do I mean by that? 
If you're a student, you are disgracing God if you're always doing evangelism and failing. Okay, now. You are studying physics in university. Physics 201, what do you get? F. Physics 206, what do you get? E. You are carrying over every course to third year. Third year, your credit load is so heavy, they didn't let you do third year at a go. Because university has a maximum number of credits. So you do third year for two years, then finally you reach final year. They say, bros, why are you failing? It's because of evangelism. You know what I always tell students like that? Leave the school, go home. Go and do evangelism from your father's house. As long as you're on this campus, your first evangelism is at 8 o'clock before the physics professor. And what's the evangelism? Carry the book, evangelize the book, evangelize your notes, evangelize the assignments. It is not godly to leave school, to go and preach in the jungle. And expect to pass. God can do it, but he often doesn't do it. If you preach too much, you feel plenty. That's how he does it. God said, don't come and terrorize me with your service. <laughs> I was listening to Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack told the story of one man he gave his life to Christ. He's a farmer. He's an American farmer. And when they say farmer, that is his land, the land he has, to be as big as maybe a quarter of, a whole, of the whole of Enugu state. Massive stretches of land. They say, go and plant your field. He say, ah, it doesn't matter. God can do anything. No problem. They say, it's wheat. He plants wheat. Assuming it's corn. I understand corn. Corn matures in about three months, right? Yes. A month to maturation of corn, he planted. And they have a narrow season. He said, God will make it multiply and mature the same time everybody who planted two months ago. And he had to borrow money from the bank, about half a million dollars to buy the seedlings. Let's make a long story short. The season changed. All his crop died. He was owing money. They said, why didn't God help me? God said, I created seed time and harvest. You missed the seed time. You were preaching. No problem. Go and get honorarium from preaching. Don't, you did not plant, the, you know, it's an entitlement mentality that we have as Christians. I have done it for God. Listen, farming is of God. Somebody say amen. amen. If you don't farm, I won't see bread to eat. Don't ever forget it. Everything you do as a child of God is spiritual. And God has called people, many people to what many of us call secular work. It's not only preachers that are called. That's what I'm going to emphasize. It's not only preachers. And I said that life has seasons. In each season of life, it is the calling of God to obey the demands of that season. If you're a student on campus, at that time, go to class. Do your evangelism in your hostel. Do it in your spare time. We all went to school. We did evangelism room to room about twice a month in my fellowship on campus. Room to room. After church service on Sundays, we split ourselves two-two. And we go from one room to the other. That's evangelism. I was a campus fellowship president and I was a fifth-year medical student. We balanced everything. Don't abandon your studies and then you say you are preaching. God won't bless it. Why? Because studying in that season is also of God. I hope you have what I'm saying. Now, what's the point we're making all of these things? God has a calling for everybody's life. I'm trying to emphasize. It's not only, that's why I went into all of this. It's not only preachers that have a calling in their lives. How do I know which one is my own? That's what we're talking about. Uh, let me just remind us of something I said earlier because I want to pick up from that now. I said the will of God is different from what we call calling and the plan. The plan is affected by how we are able to relate with what he wants us to do. The calling of God is the assignment, the reason why he gave life to each person. Now, and let me just use the word again. Sometimes we use the word calling and plan to ref- we, you describe them what we call the specific will of God, which means we all recognize that there is a general will. 
What we call general will is actually what the Bible calls the will of God. And I want to explain something. There are many things that the Bible calls the will of God. And it's general to everybody. That will is general to everybody. I made a statement earlier. I said this is a summary of everything I was saying. Do the wills of God. You see what I mean by wills of God. All the things that the Bible calls the will of God. Do all of those things. Next, exercise to serve where you have the ability and the faith. I will explain it as I go on now. Then you will discover the calling of God and the specific plan of God. I need to say that again because it summarizes all of today's message. Let me go by it again. Before I make the statement, let me just quickly remind us of something I said. When we say the will of God, it applies to everybody. There are things that the calling of God, why did God give me life? And there is a specific plan of God for each season, which just like the name, the word, um, the words I use explain it, the specific plan. I said that specific plan is affected by what we allow God to do. Like we said, in Israel, they wanted a king, even though God didn't really want them to have a king. But once he approved the kingship, he began to help them appoint kings. Do you understand my point? Now, how do I know the specific plan for each season? How do I know the calling? I'm saying, let's not labor ourselves on these specifics. This is where we labor ourselves in. One, we labor ourselves to obey all the things the Bible calls the will of God, which is general to everybody. Are you getting my point now? And we'll look at it in a moment. So I call them the wills of God. <laughs> all of them labor hard in those things. Two, so that's the statement I say you should bear in mind. One, labor hard to adhere yourself to the express wills of God that applies to everybody. Then two, exercise yourself where you have the ability and the faith. What I mean is this. If you have the confidence to teach the word of God and you have understanding of it, and when you open your mouth, the unction flows like it did for me as a young Christian, then exercise yourself all the time in it. Those days, I give this example all the time. When I was a resident doctor in Luth, I did not have a congregation. Nobody was inviting me to preach. Maybe once or twice a year, I get called to go and preach somewhere, maximum three times. If you count little fellowships here and there, maybe amongst ourselves. Yet, the thing was burning in me. So I used to write a lot. And one of the things I wrote today has been published as possibly, if you use the word best-selling, yes, our best-selling book. Because some brethren gathered together and printed almost 10,000 copies. After we had already done another 4,000 over time. That book has almost 15,000 copies have gone out and more. And I wrote it because there was a, a burning in me to teach. And I did not have a congregation, so I wrote the book. And it's today titled Choices, Key to Destiny. You can download it from our website. We have copies of them. I think it's a hundred naira that's selling at the back there. That book has gone everywhere. I wrote it in my room, RMO3, Lagos University Teaching Hospital, the Diaraba. That's when I wrote it. That's what I mean when I say exercise your gift. Where you have the ability, where you have the faith. Paul said, use it to be a blessing to people, not to make money for yourself first. Use it to be a blessing. Let brotherly love be sincere. That's what he was explaining. And I said, when you do these things I have said, you will discover easily the calling of God for your life. You will discover easily the plan of God for your life. Easily you will walk into them. Let me go over some things I said before. David did not know he was going to be king. One day they called him and he became king. Joseph did not know he was going to be prime minister. One day they called him. They said the chariots were coming. The chariots arrived. They took him to the palace. Said, dress properly. Shave down your beards. We don't like it. You are going before Pharaoh. By the time he was done with Pharaoh, a few hours later, I wouldn't know how long, but a short while later, he had been appointed prime minister in Egypt. Did he plan to be prime minister? No. But look at Joseph. You will see him adhering to sanctification. So let's quickly go over a list, a short list that I composed of the things I called the wills of God. Are you getting my point? Just a short list. Some of them may overlap. Because of time, we will not open the Bible to read many of them. I'll just refer to it. First of all, if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 13, Paul said, verse 3, Paul said, this is the will of God concerning you. 
your sanctification. And he began to explain what sanctification is. Wait, oh, there's a scripture that we should read earlier. Song of Solomon. So, those, some people are used to me, they are used to it. Okay, I'll refer to it later. Let me just interrupt what I'm saying now. I was about to flip my Bible, I just saw that I opened one earlier. I was talking about people facing somebody else's calling, not facing their own. There he said, My brothers made me keep their vineyard. My own vineyard I have not kept. That's Psalms of Solomon chapter 1, verse 6. All right? We'll refer to it later if we have to. Otherwise, that's what I was saying we should read. But I, I forgot it. Now, where are we now? Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm referring to that. He said, this is the will of God concerning you. And what is that will? He said, 